the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. The book of Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. God sent Jesus, the Messiah of the world, down to save us. Jesus called out many of the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, telling the people not to follow their hypocrisy. He taught the people many things through parables and teachings. The people began to doubt if Jesus was the Messiah. They wanted a strong king that would overthrow Roman rule. But this was not Jesus' goal. He healed a man by casting a demon out of him. The people marveled, and the religious elites hated him all the more. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. We talked about last week how the time has come now that the religious leaders have concluded the only way to deal with Jesus, to stop him, is to kill him. And so they're trying to find ways to get him to criminate himself, to find some charge that's worthy of the death penalty so they can get rid of him. And we saw, you know, last week how they accused him of doing his, his miracles by the power of Satan. They demanded a sign. They're trying to trap him, but Jesus thwarts both those attempts. And of course, in that, then he turns it on them and he confronts their jealousy. The heavy things that Jesus said to them last week, it should have prompted some self-examination, don't you think? I mean, they should have heard what he had to say and go, man, what are we doing? Really looked at their own hearts and asked God to search their hearts, but it didn't. So when Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house for lunch, Jesus straight up confronts their hypocrisy. And so we're going to study a very heavy critique from Jesus here. But as, as we do, you know, let's examine our own hearts first so the Lord doesn't have to deal with us in this way to get through to us. So chapter 11, we begin in verse 37. It says, and as he spoke, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And so Jesus went in, he sat down to, to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. You fools! Did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather, give alms of such things as you have, and behold, all things will be clean unto you. So here we see that Jesus is invited over for lunch with a Pharisee. Sounds like a good movie title. We don't know who this guy is. We don't even know if his invite's genuine or if he's part of the you know, scheme to trap Jesus. We know there were some Pharisees who were genuinely searching, Nicodemus and others, but we don't know. All we know is who the Pharisees were. Now, Pharisees, we can make a mistake lumping these groups together. They really were uniquely different. The Pharisees, they were not scholars. These are not Bible guys. These are not students. They're not rabbis. The word Pharisee means righteous one. So these were those who considered themselves to be the 
only faithful inheritance to the law, the most faithful adherence to God's word. So even though they didn't necessarily weren't students or scholars, they said, we're the ones who faithfully do God's word. And they were directly opposed to the Sadducees who they believed compromised a lot of God's word and didn't follow God's word. So that's who this guy is, even whether he's genuine or not, we don't know, but that's who we know he is. The fact that he's coming to dine, uh, some of your translations might say breakfast. It was not a breakfast. It was the light lunch that Israel has. Maybe if you're a hobbit, you call it second breakfast. But the idea here is it's an early lunch, light lunch. He's inviting him over, but if he's being invited to a Pharisee's house, who would you guess the guests are probably, other guests are probably going to be? Yeah, other Pharisees most likely. So, I mean, definitely Jesus is going into the lion's den here because he's just corrected that group, confronted their jealousy, and now he's going to their home. But you know what I love is that Jesus goes. He accepts the invitation to the lion's den. You know, we sing that, we didn't sing it this morning, but we sing that line to a few songs where it'll say, my sin was great, but your love was greater, right? It's on, that's on display here. We read the book of Revelation. We think of the church of Laodicea. We think of the church that Jesus wants to vomit, right? And it's easy to think of them and, and only think of that, to think that Laodicea is the church that made Jesus sick to his stomach. But we must not forget that Jesus closed that rebuke with these words, as many as I love, I rebuke. Even though they made his stomach turn, he loved them. And he said to them, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah, the the stench is bad, but I stand at the door and I'm knocking. And if you open up, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. My sin was great, but his love is greater. You know, Jesus still knocked on my door, even though my stench wasn't exactly nice. We have in front of my daughter's room is roses. They just, they grow maybe like twice a year they come out. And uh, so recently they just grew up and there's beautiful pink roses. So Bev cut one off this year and put it on the dining room table. Whole smell just permeates the place, just gorgeous. Like I buy roses from, for Mother's Day or whatever, you know, anniversary, just to say I love you. And it never smells good as this thing. So out there, that whole front of the house, they just, it smells beautiful. That is not my spiritual house though. (laughs) My spiritual house stank. It turned Jesus' stomach. It nauseated him, but he still knocked on my door. Now, Jesus, he didn't ignore my sin, and he still doesn't ignore my sin. He deals with my sin just like he will deal with these guys. But it's from a motive that wants us to repent so we can be close to him, even though he may not smell so nice. You know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. That's why he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that verse. But sometimes we forget the couple verses that come after in John three seventeen, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then verse 18, it says, He that believes on him is not condemned. That's the good news. But he that believes not is condemned already. Truth is, Jesus doesn't need to condemn me. I'm already stand condemned. My sin does that for me. My heart does that to me. We're already there. The idea here is that he doesn't come close to condemn And the stench of our sin might nauseate him, but his love is greater, and that's why he keeps knocking. That's the point. So Jesus goes into the lion's den because he loves these guys, even though it probably was turning his stomach some of the things that were going on. Now, when he arrives, he takes a seat, which kind of shocks his host. It says, when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. The blessed mother Mary apparently did not teach her son manners. Just kidding. The word here for washed, it's the same word we use for baptize. 
So it doesn't refer to washing your hands before you eat, as good manners would say, but it refers to the ritual purifyings that they would do in Israel. Baptism is not a Christian idea. It's a Jewish idea. They would have the, they call them mitzvahs, and they're all over the, the city of, of Jerusalem. If you go today, the areas where they've excavated, you could see them everywhere. And literally, if you were a Jew, you would come and you, oh man, I, I, I got too close to a Gentile. You would come and you'd take your clothes off, you'd jump in the bath, and then you'd come right back out, put your clothes back on, and go about your life. Because you were unclean by your contact with something, and so you'd have to go into the bath and do the ritual cleansing, and then put, come back out, and then you're okay. Sometimes today, our tour guide was telling us, the Orthodox, they, they'll still, they'll just, with their clothes on, they'll just go jump into one of the baths. They're certainly not cleaner when they come out. But it's for ritual cleansing, the idea of being clean before God. So Jesus wasn't a slob. I'm sure he cleaned up a little bit before he sat down to eat. But he didn't go through the lengthy ritual bathing that the rabbinical codes required. When Jesus didn't do that, Middle Easterners are expressive. I'm, I'm like an eighth Jewish. I'm a quarter uh, Hispanic, Puerto Rican. And the other half of me is German. So I'm, I'm expressive and I'm ready to get into a fight. So that's <laughs> how I am. God bless my wife. So... Like, she doesn't have to wonder what I'm thinking. So my guess is this Pharisee surprise probably resulted in some type of body language. Or maybe as he was doing his washing, he was, you know, showing Jesus, you know, scrubbing extra hard or something. Or maybe he actually said something to Jesus. I don't know. But whatever the case, Jesus decides to address his reaction to whatever he does. And Jesus said to him, verse 39, he says, oh, now do you Pharisees. I like the Greek. You can't really convey the Greek in English, but the best way you could say it is, now you all, you righteous ones. I mean, that's really kind of what he's doing. You guys, you guys who think you've got it all together. You're the only ones who are doing it the right way. He goes, you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter. You, you've got your coffee cup is just so, your teacup's just so, you've got your little plate you got on there, and, and you make sure all that stuff is gleaming. It's all clean. It's ritually cleansed. But your inner being, your inward part, your heart, your mind, it's full of ravening and wickedness. And ravening, it means a violent, grasping greed. And so he's addressing that jealousy again that's, that's basically fueling all of their hatred they have for Jesus. And wickedness, their evil plots, they're, they're trying to trap him, all that stuff. That's what's in their heart right now. There is a sense where this is kind of a continuation of the rebuke he's already given. He's building on that. He's confronting their jealousy, confronting their murderous hearts. So he explains to them that although God did command Israel to be ritually pure, they did have to do certain, if they became unclean, they did have to go through certain purification rites before they could go into, come back into the, the camp and before they could come before, to worship God at the tabernacle. That's not an unbiblical idea. But all the, how complex they had made it he says, even though God commanded you to do these washings, it made no sense to go through all the external purifying rituals if you had no intention of internally cleaning yourself out. If you had no intention of dealing with the jealousy that's fueling your plans to kill me. It makes no sense. You're over there bathing. I'm here enjoying a good meal already because my heart's clean. Your heart, as we tell our kids, it's yucky. <laughs> it's yucky. Jesus points out the silliness of it all in verse 40. He says, you fools. That's probably a slightly harsh translation. I don't think he, you fools. The word fools there, it's not an insult. It means 
those who are not using their reasoning abilities, those who are acting in a senseless way. You're not thinking. It's what the word fool means. Like you might look at somebody and go, you fool, because you're mad at them. That's not really the way it's being used here. It's, it's more you're, you're being foolish people right now. You're not thinking this through. And he explains why. For did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? Didn't the God who made your outside that you need to deal with also make the inside that you need to deal with? You say, well, that's still kind of harsh. He's just telling them they're not thinking correctly, you know, and just being straight up with them. It may be harsh, but have you ever listened to a teaching from somebody that gives you a wake-up call? You ever had, like, you come to church or you go to a conference or something and everything's good and all of a sudden the Lord's like, two by four, whack. That happened to me. And when the Lord does that, it's his loving but blunt way to tell you how foolish you've been being, that you haven't been thinking it through. Basically, the Lord's saying, you wouldn't see it unless I got blunt with you. And you know, those moments can be awkward. There's times when the Lord's confronted me on something, and it's such a, you know, the environment that I'm in, it means I've got to go talk to somebody about this now. I mean, I've got to, I'm going to probably be embarrassed because I've got to fix something that I wasn't really even aware of. You know, or, you know, a situation where I mean, I, I need to make a declaration, or I need to go forward and make a recommitment. You know, I mean, the idea of putting yourself out there. So, you know, the Lord does jolt us like that sometimes. Now, while Jesus is blunt, he's also very gentle because he didn't need to do any of the elaborate washings that they had concocted through the rabbinical codes. The Bible didn't tell us to do that. But you know, he doesn't tell them they need to stop doing that. He doesn't tell them that. The washing, the cleanliness thing was a biblical idea, even though they had elaborated it way too much. But what he explains is you need to recognize that God, he also has clear commands for our hearts. He's the one who made the outside. He made the inside too. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, it's, it's the great commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You know, with your spirit, soul, and body is what that's referring to. Your heart, your spirit, your soul, and then your might, your body. And the Pharisees were really good about loving God with all their might. I mean, they were washing, man. They made sure that they were hitting those mitvahs whenever they could. The outward things. But they were not into loving God with their heart or their soul at all. And that's what needed to change. And so in verse 41, Jesus, they, he says, you guys, you say you're so godly, you Pharisees, you, you righteous ones. You're not righteous, he says. You're not. He says, inside, you've got all sorts of murder and jealousy in your heart. So here's how you fix that. Verse 41, he says, but rather, this is what you need to do instead. Instead of just focusing only on outward things, he says, you need to give alms, do acts of charity, acts of love, acts of righteousness, he says, And in King James says, of such things that you have. That's a bad translation. You might have, your translation might say, from the inside. And that's what it means. He says, you need to start doing good works or good deeds or the right things, acts of mercy, from the things inside. And he says, behold, check this out. If you do that, then all things will be clean unto you. If you do that, if you love God with your heart and with your soul, then everything outside will be ritually clean. You won't need to do any of these bathings or rituals or anything like that. Now, of course, can any of us do that perfectly? No, which is why Jesus is here right now before them. That's why he's there. And that's what they're missing. That's why Jesus came, because we don't do it perfectly. So God set up this system for Israel so they could come and approach him, where if they became unclean, they could get it fixed, and they could have a relationship with him. But Jesus came to fix all that so we could be clean in in truth, so we could be totally washed, totally cleansed, and I don't have to go dive into every hole filled with water in the city every time I mess up. 
And sadly, that's what the Pharisees weren't recognizing. So they were blind. They had a blind spot, and they were headed for judgment. So Jesus, he's trying to get their attention, trying to confront these things, and they just keep hardening their heart, hardening their heart, hardening their heart. And so the Lord tells him, he goes, if you don't turn, if you don't repent from this, you think you're righteous, but you're not. You're opposing me when I'm the one who's come to rescue you. I'm doing this because I love you and I don't want you to be judged, but if you don't repent, I'm warning you, this is what's gonna happen. And so he pronounces here now three woes upon them, you know, if they don't repent. He says, but woe unto you. Now, what's a woe? What, what does woe mean? It's an Old Testament idea where the prophets would say it from time to time, woe to you, and then it would list who they were, you know, why they were experiencing gonna have bad things come. Woe, that's what it means. It means disaster, horrible. This is what's coming for you if you don't, disaster and horror is coming for you if you don't repent, you Pharisees. But woe unto you, Pharisees. Why? Well, he's gonna give three examples where they do the outside things and ignore the inside things. He says, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and you pass over judgment and the love of God. Now, these things, the tithing, they should have done and not leave the other undone, though. So the first reason they're headed for judgment is because they ignore the major things and they major on the minor things. Now, it's not that tithing's a bad thing. They were supposed to do that. And they were good at it, man. The herbs that are being referred to there, they're tiny spice herbs. So they would go into their garden and get all the little leaves out to spice things up and they go, one leaf for, for Jesus, you know, one, one leaf for God and nine for me. One leaf for God, nine for me. They were meticulous about that. In fact, if you were to go over the house and you were to pop in and go, hey, Pharisee Bob, how you doing? You say, just one minute, finishing up, just calculating my tithe. Oh, what are you doing? And you see him with all the little seeds. You go, dude, that guy loves God. Like he's, that's for, that's for real. We would think this is a dedicated giver, a real spiritual person until then we see what they, Jesus says they left out. He says, you pass over. The word there means to disobey or break God's law. You've either just flat out disobeyed or you violated God's law in the areas of judgment, which means justice, in other words, fairness when you render a legal verdict. And then he says, secondly, the love of God, or literally the love you should have toward God. He tells me, he says, you don't love God and you don't give people justice. What does it mean, give people justice? Well, because of these guys being righteous ones, they frequently held high positions of authority in the, in the community. So when the cases would be brought to them, they would, you know, render verdicts. But these guys were taking bribes. You know, they would not give fair verdict. They would give judgment that would be, that would be partial. So they were doing that. And secondly, they weren't obeying the greatest commandment of all, which is to love God first. You know, it's interesting. The first commandment to community leaders in Deuteronomy 16, 18 is to do justice. So they were failing big time. That's no different than what Jesus said in Matthew 15 when they were critiquing Jesus' disciples when they were picking food out of the field on a Sabbath day. And so how come your, your disciples transgressed the traditions of the elders? The Bible didn't say they couldn't do that, but the rabbinical code said they couldn't. How come your, your, your disciples break the traditions of the elders? And Jesus said, why do you break the commandments of God so you can keep your traditions? Burn. Jesus, he said to him, and he gave him an example. He said, the scriptures say, honor thy father and thy mother. And then he who disobeys, dishonors to his father and mother is, should die the death. Capital punishment for disobedient children. Keeps your children in line really well. You know what I've learned? Law doesn't change anybody. It's only grace. Law can tell me what I should be. It can't change who I am. Only God can do that. Only grace. 
he explains to him, he goes, but you've made up by your rabbinical codes this tradition that says if you tell mom and dad, hey, I'm going to disobey you or I'm going to dishonor you, but it's for your good. This is for your benefit. Then, then you're okay. Then you're okay. He goes, you annul the commandment of God by your traditions. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, you major on minor things that you should do, but you make them so important and you ignore the most important things. You know, you're a leader in the community. What's your big thing you should make sure you get done every day? It's not that you shouldn't tithe, but you should be way more meticulous about giving justice out than you should be about that. You should be way more meticulous about your love for God than you should be about this. But they weren't. Now, the question is, though, why would they do all this outward stuff if they didn't love God? Well, because they loved something else. Look at verse 43, the second woe. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. So they didn't love God, but they did love something. They loved this. They loved the uppermost seats in the synagogues. Like we would call that kind of the stage here. They didn't have a stage in in a synagogue. In fact, most synagogues were pretty small, the local synagogues in the villages. When we were in Magdala and they showed us the synagogue there, it was probably no bigger than the stage. But even in there, you had a front area where the speaker would be, and behind the speaker, there would be seats. So even if there wasn't an actual stage, you had seats behind the speaker. Those were the seats of honor. Those were the chiefest seats. And so these guys, they loved that. They loved people looking up at them as the service was going on. They loved to be seen. They loved to be seen in the markets and people going, oh, look, it's Pharisee Bob. Hey, Bob, nobody loves Jesus like Bob does. Right, Bob? They loved something instead of God. They loved that others looked up to them. They loved that others deferred to them. They loved that others knew who they were. So they acted spiritual because they loved that recognition from others. So not only you know, is, is God going to deal with them because they ignored the, major, ignored the majors and majored in the minors, but they sought recognition from men instead of pleasing God. When you live a life like that, that means no matter how much you might wash yourself on the outside, you're unclean. Now, what happens if you're unclean and you're walking around town? What happens when other people come into contact with you? You're unclean. So these guys who are, everybody's looking up to them and fawning over them and whatever, they're walking around basically not able to come into God's presence because their hearts are unclean and now they're infecting everyone else around them, which is the third reason Jesus says judgment's coming. He says, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are as graves which appear not, unmarked graves, and the men that walk over them, they aren't even aware of them. What's the problem with an unmarked grave? Well, an unmarked grave in Numbers 19.16, not an unmarked grave, but a grave in 1916, Numbers 19.16 says, whosoever touches a grave is defiled and becomes unclean. So the bad thing about it, like if you see a grave, you can go, oh, oh, need to go around the grave. But an unmarked grave, you'll never know. So you could end up being ritually defiled, not able to come before the presence of God, not know it, and then come before the presence of God, think everything's fine, and God's going, you're lucky I don't make you a crispy critter. Because you don't belong here. You haven't taken care of this yet. So all the time you think everything's good with me and God, but the truth is, it's not. That's what these guys are doing to other people. Because people are admiring them and following their example and looking up to them, and they're defiling them with their their lack of relationship with God, their hypocrisy, and everyone else is getting infected with it. Before we move on, we need to realize Jesus said something a little bit different this time, didn't he? He says, woe unto you, and then he adds a group, doesn't he? 
scribes and Pharisees. So who are the scribes? Well, remember I said earlier the Pharisees, they weren't really the scholars. Well, that's who the scribes are. These are the rabbis. They are the rabbinical scholars. They're the ones responsible for teaching the law to the people. The Pharisees said, we're the ones who do the law, but these are the guys who taught the law. They were held in high esteem for that role. The rabbis were. And Jesus, he adds these guys to this last critique here because while they did different things than in Jewish society than the Pharisees did, those two were like peas in a pod in how they approached life. Everything was external, nothing was internal. And so Jesus calls them both hypocrites, walking contradictions. And that is a good description for what we've learned about them in this passage. But as Jesus says, that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is what their hypocrisy causes because they're leaders. Because people look up to them, people follow their example, and they're defiled. They're not brought closer to God. If you're a Pharisee right now, that hurts, doesn't it? (laughs) Talk about turning a critique against the critic. How come he doesn't do the ritual washings? How come he doesn't obey the rabbinical codes? You want to talk about me not obeying the rabbinical codes? You guys, you don't even love God. And you're you're keeping other people from God too. I mean, that had to hurt. Had to sting, but it was true. It was true. And Jesus loved them enough to tell them. He loved them enough to tell them. Even though it surely made the dinner awkward, I imagine. We can very easily look at these guys and go, man, these guys are losers. But if all we do is critique them, then we miss the point, I think. Because... The thing is, we have to ask ourselves some important questions. Is my life about appearing spiritual before others? Or is it about loving God and loving others? Does my life encourage others to grow? Or am I keeping them from really knowing the Lord because my relationship, my example I give to them is purely external? No one is ever too far gone for God to save. God desires for us to come humbly into his presence on his terms but that should never hinder us from coming to Him. Jesus paved the way for us to have access to God's throne room. We enter in by faith, not by any good we've done. We come solely on the basis of God's goodness. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.